evening at verse uh, 40, and that's on page 1094 of the Church Bibles. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 40. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thanks very much, Chris. And again, as we go through this together, if there are any questions, um, if you can hold them to the end. Um, please feel free to talk with me afterwards and discuss anything through. We want to learn together what God's Word has to say to us. Well, let's pray and ask for his help now. Father, we thank you for the church. We thank you for your family. And we ask now that as we gather together like this, that your spirit would be at work among us, speaking your truth into our lives, truth that changes us and transforms us and brings us to be the kind of family, the kind of church that you call us to be. We thank you for one another and we thank you that we can learn together like this. We pray that it will be a rich and encouraging time for us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When you came this morning, did you expect to find anybody else here? As you walked in the door, did you expect that there would be seats and somebody to make tea and coffee? When you took your children out to creche and Sunday school, did you expect that there would be people here to look after them and to teach them? If you weren't here, would you still expect that there would be people here? It raises a big question, this expectations business, doesn't it? What is expected of me if I am part of the church? What level of commitment should there be? So how often do I need to attend? Once every six weeks? Or perhaps nine out of ten weeks? Is it different if I'm a student 
or if I'm settled or married? Or am I allowed to stay at home and have a break? Or perhaps am I free to go and visit another church altogether? Do I come when I'm on the rota, but free when I'm not? And what happens if church clashes with a sports match or a kid's party? What takes priority? And what about home groups? After all, church isn't just a Sunday meeting. Is it something we go to when there is nothing else on? Or do we plan to be there each week? What comes first? The local church or parachurch? Who takes priority? Is it the people within your church family or your best friend in another church? Lots of questions, and I'm sure we would all have very different answers. So what is a right expectation, or do we just make up our own minds and figure out what the best thing is for us? Well, the expectation, I think we'll discover, is greater than we ever thought. But the experience is much deeper than we could ever realise. Peter has just been preaching to a very large crowd. It's soon after Jesus has been raised from the dead. He has ascended. He sent his Holy Spirit. And he's preaching to the crowd about the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at his conclusion in verse 36. He says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He is declaring to the people that Jesus who died has now been raised. He is the risen, ruling, saving King. Now look at the response of the people to that message in verse 41. Here's the response. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Do you see the double response that there is? They accepted and they were added. They believed and they belonged. And the mark or the sign that they have accepted the good news of Christ and that they have been added to the church family is their baptism. They were baptised because baptism is a sign that you believe in Christ and that you belong to the community of believers. So believing and belonging can't be separated. You can't on the one hand say, oh I believe in Jesus but then on the other side say, I don't belong to the church family. And you can't say, oh, I belong to the church and not believe. We see the same thing in verse 47. At the very end of the reading, we had the last couple of lines. 
And it says there, do you see what it says? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. God didn't add people without saving them. And he didn't save them without also adding them. So people who believe also belong. Now that means church life is deeply communal, not individual. Look at the language that we have here. For example, verse 42. They devoted themselves. Verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe. Verse 44, all the believers. It's like the king's musketeers. All for one and one for all. Only we have been saved by the ultimate king. And we now together serve the true king, Jesus Christ. All for one and one for all. So let's see how this believing and belonging actually gets worked out in practice. Two big ideas we're going to look at. Here's the first one. If we say we believe, it means we are committed to Christ. If we say we believe, it means we are committed to Christ. So look at verse 42. They, that's the believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And they devoted themselves to prayer. Now this word devotion means this wholehearted, exclusive commitment. It's the kind of thing a lover might write in their Valentine's card. Devoted to you. I'm sure you've all written it at some stage. They're saying, my life is given completely for you. I live for you. I adore you. I'll do anything for you. My life is yours. Wives, isn't that what your husbands say to you? I express a loyalty, a deep affection towards you. I'm devoted to you. Now Christ has showed his devotion and affection for us by dying for us. He gave himself for us. He says, I die for you. I suffer God's wrath for you. And in response to that amazing love, the church in response is devoted to Christ. There is this wholehearted, exclusive commitment in response to what Christ has done for us. We say, I'll live for you. I adore you. My life is yours. And so this devotion is being worked out in the following ways, as we read in verse 42. Let's have a look at them one by one. First, they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They are learning Christ together. Now, we don't have the apostles alive today, but what we do have is what they taught and what they preached and what they spoke about and what they taught has been recorded for us within Scripture. This is what we are reading right now. 
And how do we know it's true? How do we know we can trust them? Well, look at verse 43. It says, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. You see, what they said and what they did was written down, and all of that was confirmed and affirmed by the miracles and the wonders that they did. It was telling people, you, we can trust them. We can trust what they had to say. And so we now have that written down for us in God's Word to learn together, to learn Christ together through what they had to say. We learn all about how Christ has accepted us and how Christ has added us, or as we started out this morning, that he forgives us and welcomes us into his family. So we learn Christ together through his word. But not only that, they are also devoted to the fellowship. So they are sharing Christ together. Fellowship simply means sharing in something that we have in common, sharing in what we have in common. The church here this morning is made up of all kinds of people. We come from different backgrounds, we're of different ages, we have different likes and dislikes, we're just different people. We're very diverse people, but we have one thing that unites us together. The one thing that we have in common is the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has welcomed us into his family and has given us the assurance that we belong to his kingdom. And this is what we share in together. We share in Christ together. It's what glues us together. It breaks down all kinds of barriers, cultural barriers, social barriers, and it unites us together to be a people who share Christ together. But not only that, we are devoted to the breaking of bread or as we have it here, to remember Christ together. Now I think, and you might want to discuss this with me, with me later, I think this is primarily about remembering Christ's death as they ate together. So as part of their meals, as they invited one another round to their homes, as they would sit down and have their meal, they would also, as part of that meal, share and remember Christ. We call it the Lord's Supper or Communion. They would come to remember the amazing salvation that we have received. So remembering that Christ was treated as we deserve to be treated, so that by faith we are treated as Christ deserves to be treated. We have been given new life and we come to remember Christ together. And the meal that we have here this morning is something we will share in together to remember what Christ has done. But not only that, they were devoted, this commitment, this loyalty, they were devoted to prayer. At the end of verse 42, they talked to Christ together. Now I think this included all kinds of prayers, maybe formal prayers, 
informal prayers, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of requests. The point is that as the people gathered together, they were a talking people. They talked regularly to the Lord Jesus Christ in whom they had this relationship. And as we talk to God in our relationship, we are simply coming as his children, helpless, with absolute dependence on a generous and gracious God who loves to give good gifts to his children. So they were devoted together to Christ. And do you see what happens when we are committed to Christ in this way together? We gain such a wonderful appreciation and the devotion that Christ has shown for us. We see as we learn together, as we share together, as we remember Christ together, as we talk to Christ, we see how loved and treasured we are. You see, the church without Christ does not exist. And the church that tries to live without Christ will fall apart. Christ is like the air that we breathe, the oxygen that keeps us alive right now. Well, without Christ, the church will die. We simply cannot operate, we cannot live, we cannot exist. And so together we come committed to Christ in our learning, in our sharing, in our remembering and in our praying. So if we believe we are committed to Christ and it's something we do together. Here's the second big thing. To belong means we are committed to the community. And when I say the community, I don't just mean the community of Carrigaline, I mean the community of God's family, the church. So we're people who believe but we're also people who belong. Now what if I were to say to us all, let's do church every single day? What would you think about that? Well, you might say, well, I can manage once a week and a couple of hours on a Sunday, that's fine for me. But if that's how we begin to think about church, we've lost what it actually is. Because church is 24-7. It's not just about sitting in a meeting. It is that, but it's so much more than that. It's a community of partners, of people who belong. So look at verse 44. It says, all the believers were together. Verse 46 Every day they continued to meet together. The end of verse 46, we read that they ate together. Now this word together is not just saying that they met up. It's stronger than that. It means a partnership. They were involved with each other. They had these close relationships. They were sharing in the same things, the same beliefs. And it wasn't just meeting up for formal meetings. They met in informal ways as well. And this, I think, this togetherness, this belonging together, was worked out in two ways. First, they were committed to caring for one another. Look at verse 45, 44 rather. All the believers were together and had everything 
in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Now that's really quite remarkable, isn't it? Now, as we read it, let's be clear that it is not asking everyone to do likewise. In other words, that we're to go and sell our homes and sell our cars and get all that we've got together and all go and move in a little commune together and build a little self-sufficient ranch somewhere where we all have perhaps the same income, we all have access to the same things, where we all own everything together. It's not that kind of commune, separatist type idea. In fact, we're told in verse 46 that they did, eat, uh, they did meet together and eat in each other's homes. So it's quite clear that it didn't mean you sell up your own home and all move in together. No, this was something voluntary. This was something done as God's people were able to do. But what it does mean is that we as a community of God's people are responsible for the practical care and welfare of each other. And the clue for this comes at the end of verse 45. They gave to anyone as he had need. So it was the needs of the church that dictated. So what are the needs of this family church here? How do we distinguish what needs are and what wants are? Because we all want lots of things, but what are our needs? Well, let's remember at the time of writing, there was no social welfare system. You didn't have a dole office. If you didn't have a job, you go down and sign on and get, get some money from the government. If, if you had no job or no means of income, you were poor. If you didn't have a family, you had nothing. And that meant you would be without food or without home. So when it's talking about needs here, it's talking about the necessities of life, not the luxuries. For example, we all need somewhere to live and keep warm, especially when it's cold. We all need our breakfast, our lunch and our tea. We all need to be able to pay our bills, electricity, water. We, we all need to go to the doctor from time to time and, and sometimes that's going to cost a bit extra if we need to buy medicine. So we might call all of these things daily needs or, or necessities. And if there's people within the church community, within the church family, who are in need, it, it is our responsibility to do all that we can to make sure that they have these needs. And one of the things that we talk about often is our fellowship fund, where people give financially, and that goes into a fellowship fund. And for people who are in need, we are able to give financial assistance or practical assistance. So let me say to us all, if you are in need, please let us know your need. Or if you know somebody else who's in need or struggling, let us know so we can help, committed to caring together, just as Christ was committed in caring for us and gave his life for us. So in response we give of what we have to help care for others.
So we are committed to caring together. And second, we are committed to supporting together. Look at verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. Every day they would meet together.